Hello, and welcome to Don't Sit in the Front, the second episode. Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, and leaving reviews. I got a lot of good feedback on the first episode, and I felt very, very supported, so thank you so much for that. In this episode, I don't have an interview per se, but I am joined by my friend Ed as a co-host. We both watched the 2005 documentary Comedians of Comedy. That's a documentary that follows Patton Oswalt, Maria Bamford, Brian Posehn, and Zach Galifianakis on a West Coast tour. We also talk about specials that I watched that came out since the quarantine started, and we also talk about some news stories regarding the ways that comedians have been finding creative ways to do stand-up shows even during the pandemic. Ed tells us about his experience with a VR stand-up show and a little bit about the comedy scene in Minneapolis. And just fair warning, we nerded out pretty hard on this one. So I mentioned a lot of stand-up specials that came out in the last few months, but just to track that, I'll put some references on the show post on the show's Instagram. And if you could do me a favor, you can go and find that Instagram handle at don't sit in the front. Uh, we're also on Twitter at don't underscore sit. Please leave me a comment. Uh, let me know what you think about the show. Give me some feedback and comments would be great. Just to look at the month ahead, I have some interviews with comedians and podcasters lined up. And I'm excited to share those interviews with you as I roll out some episodes. Uh, but for these episodes in between, I'll talk more about recent stand-up specials, albums, and books written by stand-up comedians. Thanks again for all your support, and please share the show with friends and stand-up fans in your life, and enjoy the episode. and welcome to Don't Sit in the Front, episode two. Tonight, uh, I have a special co-host. As part of the goal of this podcast was for me to sort of interrogate really why I love the art of stand-up. And as I was thinking about it, when I had the idea for the podcast, I knew I wanted to do two things. And one was to talk about a documentary that really got me into stand-up uh, when I watched it in college. That set a sort of precedent for me to look back and re realize for myself that I had been watching stand-up since I was a kid. But there was kind of some watershed moments. Um, and one of those I want to look at is when I first became aware of the comedians of comedy and comics like Patton Oswalt, Brian Posehn, Zach Galifianakis, and Maria Bamford in high school. Uh, another thing I wanted to do is sort of delve into my personal relationship to stand-up. And one way to do that is to talk to the person who was probably the most influential for my sense of humor I, want, I really wanted to talk to my uh, childhood best friend, Ed. So he'll be our co-host today. And um, his credits are, um, I met him in the bathroom of our elementary school in second grade. He shared a locker with me in high school for all four years. He had the locker uh, one over for me and then whatever unsuspecting freshman was in between us. Podcasting to us deep from within, I believe, the congressional district of the now victorious representative Ilhan Omar. Um, so joining us from the Twin Cities, uh, we have my childhood best friend that I grew up with in rural Wisconsin, Ed Karwacki. Uh, Ed, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Ed, how are you? How are you spending the quarantine? What are have, have you been watching? Anything funny? Funny? Oh, so that's over the months. 
my tolerance for like let's start with the opposite question right now and i want like reading or watching or anything that's like more like seriously dramatic or things like that because we, we, we're going to talk about comedy obviously that's the purpose of this whole thing but like the one thing that's kind of sticking out right now is that like i've tried reading so many like horror books or, or novels mm-hmm. or more serious stuff on like criterion channel stuff like that I just don't have the stomach for it anymore. Mm. Every day, it seems like it's like I need more lighter, more more of a reason to laugh mm-hmm. than like the day before it. So you're saying were you um, strayed away from like some people very strangely were going towards things like that movie Pandemic or like watching Outbreak, and I was like, I don't understand that at yeah. all. That's definitely anxiety inducing for me. No, that's comedy is like an escapism right now. If, if that could be said, things I'm watching or reading uh, in, in terms of comedy. Um, TV is just not sticking for me. It's never oh. really stuck for me, like binging, uh-huh. like series. TV was always a method of like I'm gonna watch two to three episodes of something while I'm like making dinner after I get, like drop off my mm-hmm. bags and relax for the night. Mm-hmm. And it's just like that never happens now. Yeah, you know? we've had many discussions over the last like year about like I worked through all of like King of the Hill. Uh huh. Yeah, that was like a two to three episode thing after work. And now I got nothing but time to like watch yeah. stuff. It's not happening. It's just like I have like it just will not grab me. Yeah, I. Um, yeah, it's like I get that. I haven't really. Like, I think I had that in mind once I knew I was going to be inside for a long time that I'd be binge watching like whole seasons of things. Yeah. Um, and I had the goal too, especially yeah. now. I'm, I might pick it back up. Like after uh, last week's episode, uh, I interviewed uh, my friend Casey, and mm-hmm. she talked about getting into stand-up by watching Seinfeld as a kid and then realizing I have that on Hulu I kind of tried to get back in and watch I have a goal to watch that whole series front to back I've never done that I just saw it as reruns on like TBS on cable um oh yeah that was like the college you get done with your first class at like 1 p.m and then like your next class is at 4 so you go home and there's just three hours of Seinfeld on yeah. like college. It's like when TBS TV. started to rebrand themselves of all comedy. So it's definitely, yeah, yeah that was in my wheelhouse. Um, so I've never, I don't think they, I don't know how they played them in order, but I'm trying to like watch it in order. And it's kind of bizarre to watch that first season of Seinfeld just because like, yeah. even like the iconic font is not the same. And then like the, the pilot yeah. is wild because the whole apartment is completely different. It's like, a low rent version of the uh, the actual apartment they use later on and then kramer i think they he calls yeah. him like i gotta think of the word kessler like a different name in the for in the pilot episode <laughs> so okay. it's just like yeah revisiting that and then it's still wild to me too to think like how the humor of that show worked and then also the fact that like everyone's parents watch that have you heard of the the seinfeld effect no. i think it's just referred to as that where it's a it's a thing in writing where it's um, when you experience something for the first time after it's already been like popularized mm-hmm. and something that was kind of like groundbreaking or kind of like changed the game in certain respects. And then you go back like everything after that influence influential, I guess is the word I'm looking for. It's very influential. Mm-hmm. And then you go back and experience it mm-hmm. in full for the first time after it's already had its influence uh, shot out into the universe. Yeah. And it, uh, you don't see anything special about it, but like not realizing at the time, like every other sitcom was like a B stories, yeah. you know, like nothing and, and, and everything was self-contained and everything had a happy ending and a rising tension and a climax and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And, 
Uh, I'm curious if you're going to like, you're, you're at least, I'm sure like looking for that kind of thing. Like, why is this such a great comedic, you know, piece of uh-huh. piece of comedy? And uh, if you're, if you're aware of it, I'm, I'm maybe you'll get more out of it, but I'm just curious, like, yeah, I'm not sure what I'll, I'm not sure what I'll learn, um, but I'll keep you updated. I'm not sure what, mm-hmm. what it's going to, what fruit it's going to bear watching yeah. all of Seinfeld um, with the world, the state it's in. Then like, I know sure. what you mean too about not watching heavy stuff. So like part of my thing was, I had this podcast in mind for a while too. And then when I realized I had a lot more time and I couldn't go out and watch stand up in person, you know, some of it I could watch online. But what I really did with the time at first was like, I'm going to catch up on all the specials I couldn't watch. Um, Some people will know who know me, but I was out of the country for a long time. So that for about eight months, uh, so that I was limited in what I could access for streaming services. Um, So I had this whole list going of everything I'm going to watch when I get back to L.A., and then I was like, I'm going to catch up on all these stand-up specials that I've been hearing about on podcasts and everything I couldn't watch. And then one of the first ones I watched was uh, Whitmer Thomas has a HBO special. Um, and then in kind of like true fashion of how a lot of the specials are going now, there's some, rather than just being a set, it, it's sort of a half documentary and it shows his very, uh, really kind of sad childhood um, and life. And it's all about his mom who passed away and like, it was just in the first two weeks of lockdown watching that, it was just brutal. It was just like, it is a very funny special. It is also very touching. And then like, when you think the whole world's going to shit, it was very, uh, yeah, it was a bit too much. Um, but then as kind of like a chaser, I think a few weeks after that, Eric Andre's special called Legalize Everything came out on Netflix. And you know, I, have you ever watched the Eric Andre show or you've probably seen like viral videos or... I- I've watched the show. I have not seen his stand-up yet. But then there's just sort of this whole other life of the Eric Andre show where he's just he's just insane. It, it's always going for broke. Mm-hmm. He's nude for most of that show, I think. Like, it's really, it's really out there. And, like, I think <laughs> that, you know, people are saying, like, they've kind of shifted their, like, lazy uh, application of the label. Rather than saying millennial, they've kind of said, now they say Zoomer. Um, and those are two different generations yeah. and they can't be the same thing. So somebody's wrong, but, um, they're kind of saying like Eric Andre, like that's total like zoomer humor. I don't know. I think it's millennial humor because like, I love that special and he has a kind of very like loud screamy style that I usually don't like in different iterations, but I don't think he's just yelling for it to be non sequitur. Like the things he's screaming about and why he's constructing a set that way and being so crazy with it. I think it it all has like a larger logic and organizing principle that we don't quite, I wouldn't just call it like lazy, but yeah, Eric Andre legalize everything. Okay. Um, I'll just rattle off a couple other specials that I watched. Hannah Gadsby, her second special Douglas came out. Um, If fans of stand up will know Hannah Gadsby's Nat Nat that almost like broke stand up uh, as it is. Everybody, everybody was pissed off about it. Uh, If you're a comic, I like you loved it comics i don't like we're pissed off about it because it's i don't know if you know it have you seen hannah gatsby's uh nanette i don't want to i don't want to spoil too much about it it's like uh given what you said about not wanting to watch something heavy it's probably not for you right now during the quarantine but um it's kind of her just as a fan of comedy and then like as a human being i think you should watch it but um she takes what is her you know what would be like an hour stand-up special makes it more like a one-woman show about um a being a queer woman B, she talks about sexual assault and like a history of that in her personal life. And then also 
um, just what it means to be a comedian and always be self-deprecating and how the humor has to come at the expense of yourself as a performer. And I won't give any more away about it than that, but it does go like a really deep place. It is also funny. And then she just kind of mechanic, I guess, for the whole thing was to say like, I'm quitting stand up and these are the reasons why I'm quitting and I can't do this anymore. But she wasn't serious about that. Um, so then the second special she came out with is called Douglas and she references basically that whole special um she does something interesting where she tells you in the beginning she's like i'm gonna do this this and this and then does exactly that and even though you know that that structure and format are coming you still laugh at it and it's still funny when you see it being revealed to you so she's just amazing and like working on a whole different level very meta just commenting on the artist stand-up itself a lot very cool I also want to jump in there while you're taking a water break to just be like, I just realized I gave you a non-answer when you asked me that question. Yeah. Probably sound like a pretentious douchebag. Uh, what We Do in the Shadows, the TV oh, show my. version, the FX version, I'm starting to watch that one. Mm-hmm. Get up, back up to speed. Um, not stand-up, but comedy nonetheless. Uh, great. Love it. Matt Berry's brilliant in it. Um, and then as a IT crowd connection from Matt Berry, uh, I started reading one of Richard uh, Ayoade's book. Hmm. Uh, one of his books, uh, Iowati on Iowati, mm. on, or on cinema or something like that. Um, kind of, it's like a, a film book, but like a comedic one. Uh-huh. Um, I just started it, so I can't give like a hard recommendation at this point, but so far I'm enjoying it. Hmm. A lot of the comedy I've been digesting lately has not been able to stand up variety, which is not helpful to your podcast, uh-huh. I understand, but. Uh, well, no, that's good. Then, like how, well, then you'll just, yeah. them equally informing uh you and then if anybody else wants to know there's a couple other specials i would mention uh just real quick i didn't watch it rather listen to it kyle canane uh, obviously a big name everybody knows but he just came out with his album called trampoline in a ditch um just like title alone like i just laughed the first time i heard it trampoline in a ditch and then i heard him on uh i think it was on on dumb people town with the sklar brothers he explained where he got the title and just for our connection having both grown up in wisconsin so he he was talking about a twitter account it's called um sheboygan police scanner and they just i have seen that account (laughs) yeah and like they just post things from the police scanner and then he said years ago the post from there that just said trampoline in a ditch and he's like i don't know what that's gonna be but he just said i was gonna log it log it in his brain and he's gonna use it later and then that's the name of this album so it's a great album and then another wisconsin connection i think because that's probably why he put the two together he recorded it at Comedy on State on State Street in Madison. Oh, okay. um, so hilarious album cool. again from Kyle Kinane. Um And then last week, the episode, we uh, I talked with Casey Gates Fry about Sam J's Three in the Morning. Uh, that's also on Netflix. And then, yeah, I watched a few others. Eddie Pepitone has a new special called For the Masses. Ooh. And Chris Fairbanks, you have to buy it from his, it's on his Vimeo account, um, but it's called Rescue Cactus. Again, a uh, great special. People talk about Chris Fairbanks as being kind of like a like a comics comic because um, I had seen him a few times and really thought that he was just sort of ad-libbing things, but I realize it's very calculated and like some of the bits I saw worked out in person made it into this special. So um, that's been really interesting to watch. Also comes has a very touching ending that just comes out of nowhere. Yeah, and then upcoming, just my last little bit on you know specials to watch in quarantine on august 20th so in um, a little over a week from this recording the best stelling has an hbo special called girl daddy and i'll 
either with a guest or just on my own. I'll definitely be uh, talking about that special. That's August 20th. Okay, so stand-up news. Um, for fans of stand-up, you'll probably be familiar with the comedy festival in Montreal, the Just for Last festival. Uh, JFL is a big launching point for, well, they'll have the JFL New Faces, which are announced every year. And then there's a showcase, and you get really big names that come out of there. So I let's see, this is from August 12th. Variety announced their 10 comics to watch for 2020. I'm getting this from an article by Janelle Riley on Variety. So this year, they finally announced that, of course, given COVID-19 pandemic, et cetera, and especially it being in Canada, and they don't want all these Americans coming over the border, which has been an issue, the Just for Last Festival will be all online. For that showcase, they still did what they usually do and announced the 10 comics to watch for the year. Um, there's some interesting choices on this list, especially because, and I don't. this isn't, this isn't um, unusual for before, but now you have people who are they're not stand-ups in the way you think. Um, they may do stand-up, but they have people who are like TikTok creators and things. I uh, wish people could talk about, you know, how they feel about that. But so, for example, Sarah Cooper, who became very famous with her lip-syncing videos on TikTok where she lip-syncs Donald Trump's speeches. Um, she was chosen as one of the 10 to watch. Uh, also, Chad Goes Deep. That's the comedy duo or the podcast. Um, their names are Tom Allen and JT Parr. Have you ever seen, Ed, um, any videos that go viral of there's these two guys in Southern California, I think in Huntington Beach, and they go they went to um, city council meetings and trying to get like, uh, I think the, the laws changed regarding house parties and things like that. And they're just like total surfer bros. I've listened to their podcast a little yeah. bit and they're just like, it's hard to tell when they're in character or if when the character became their personality or vice versa. Um, but it's interesting oh, that they're yeah. on the on the list for JFL this year. Um, another one I would mention is Ziwe Fumido. She is a writer on Showtime's Dezus and Mero. And she has, an, now in quarantine, she's had an Instagram live show every week. Uh, if your cringe meter does not, if you can't <laughs> handle cringe well, well, what she does is basically bait people into a very intense interview and especially like uh, white celebrities just like one thing she'll do is she'll say, you know, quickly name four black people. And then, then they just like can't. And it's really bizarre. It's really awkward. <laughs> um, say like she'll say, like, tell us like your favorite Asian celebrities. And they just like they just like pause and they freak out. So she's kind of playing with the sensitivity everyone has around those issues, especially this summer. So interesting to watch. Definitely not for the faint of heart uh, in the way of cringe. And then the last one I mentioned is another person who really sort of started to shine with quarantine and her Instagram live shows, and that's Megan Stalter. Uh, here reading from the article, um, she's a writer and performer on the National Lampoon Radio Hour. She was on a show called Tuning Out the News on CBS All Access, but uh, how I became familiar with her was her Instagram live videos where she really em embodies a few different characters. She'll do like an entire show as like a one-off, one-time character of being like a medium or something. And she'll have people on and interview them. And she just completely, completely commits to the bit. Very interesting. And then more of a traditional stand-up. Uh, the last one I'll mention is Jenny Yang. She was a story editor on Fox's Last Man Standing. But one thing that's interesting that she's been doing, and it kind of leads me to segue into my the next issue I want to talk about, are 
alternatives to stand-up shows that you can partake in safely online and safely with social distancing. Jenny Yang has, she's been hosting a show called Comedy Crossing, where she's been doing live stand-up shows on Animal Crossing and then uh, (laughs) using, I believe, a Twitch stream. So there were, there could be a certain number of people, if you're familiar with Animal Crossing, there could be a certain number of people who actually attend that show in the game, but then she'll Twitch stream the other thing. And so I'm not, I don't know, like the the gimmick of that is like uh, sort of interesting. I'm not so into finding very complicated ways to do stand-up online, but it's very creative, I guess. Yeah, so that was their top 10 comics to watch for 2020. You could Google that um, and see the rest of them. I think it's interesting and sort of a shame this year that they have to do that list and that showcase all online, but interesting nonetheless. The next item I'd talk about are alternatives to live comedy shows. Shane Torres, a comic I like a lot, he just got back from a few weeks ago. He went on a tour with Burt Kreischer. They did a tour of drive-in theaters Um, So from what I can tell, people drove their cars into a drive-in theater parking lot. There's some kind of stage set up where the screen would be. And then much like how you would consume a movie at the drive-in theater, they're performing stand-up that way. And I wonder, Ed, do you think you would go to something like that? What do you think's lost? Do you think this is a good idea? So there's two, I guess, like ways I guess you can think about this. One is just like we're in unprecedented times, whatever we can get to. I think everyone's missing like live entertainment in yeah. any capacity, whether it's music or comedy or performance art. There's just like that's just like something that does not exist right now. It's one of those like one of the many challenges that, you know, nobody knows how to deal with right now. I think it's good. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great idea. I don't think I would go to it. Um, yeah. And I'll tell you why. Like, I, I love that they're trying. it. I love the creativity in that. Um, and I would probably go for comedians I knew or comedians that like, like an act who's like, I can at least like, if I'm going to the comedy club down the other side of the river here in Minneapolis, um, Mm -hmm. if I'm going down to, to Acme, like I'm more likely to see like, you know, go to the, the open mics or I'm willing to go to things I'm not familiar with just to say, Hey, let's do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of noticed this a little bit when I got linked to, one of Dave Chappelle's like recent bits where he did like an outdoor venue. And yeah. I remember cause I, it mm-hmm. was, it was linked to me because it was about George Floyd stuff, uh, the George Floyd incident. And that's very, yeah. I mean, it's obviously that's a topic everyone's kind of talking about, but here in Minneapolis, it's very much like the center. It's still the focal point of like everything. Yeah. Just like for listeners, Ed lives mere blocks from the, uh, police precinct that was burned. And, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, lives right there and right there in Minneapolis. So yeah, it's, I, I was talking with Ed while uh, protests were going on, and interesting to have someone on the ground there to be talking to about it. But but anyway, yeah. But the point I was making with that was yeah. I was watching that bit that he did. It wasn't really a bit, if you know Dave Chappelle's act. It's very like seamless into like just like monologue or just like talking, as opposed to like right. I remember I saw yeah. him like live like. Mm-hmm. two or three years ago and just being like astonished at like the flow of going into like he hasn't told a joke in like 20 minutes like everyone is just you could hear a pin drop in that place it was just like the focus was like unreal but the first thing before he got to any of the content that mm-hmm. i realized was he would start off the couple of jokes before he got to like the serious stuff and in this video i got linked to where he was in this outdoor big lawn or something and he was on like a stage got set up stage and people were six feet apart on chairs 
and just realizing like how integral mm-hmm. the like acoustics of like a, a very intimate closed comedy club yeah. really is for like a joke like he'll tell a joke you'll laugh and it's it's almost like the like almost like a laugh track effect i don't know what the, I, w- I would love to know what the name of that like neurological like effect is where it's like why why am i not hearing other laughter why am i laughing then mm-hmm. like you're self-conscious of it and you're kind of like in your own head a little bit about it yeah i mean there's like there's two things i thought of one is like if i watch a comedy movie at home i might chuckle but i don't laugh the same right. way i would laugh as i do in the theater yeah um, so like that's kind of what you're saying. And then the other thing is like even before social distancing, comedians talked about doing like outdoor festivals. It was not ideal. Like the laughter rolls, right. they say. So like it takes time for their... I mean, that wasn't a very big one, the Dave Chappelle one, but they are trying to do big ones outdoors. So like it takes time for your... Yeah. They say your joke to land at the back. The people in the front start laughing. Right. And then the people in the back laugh. And you, they have to figure that out. So you're just going to, if you're going to have like an entire tour of that, I don't know, they might do it, but like you, I don't, I don't think I would try to go to it. And I also just have like extra anxiety. I'm just like, everybody stay inside till there's a vaccine, but, uh, they, they have to make a living. So it's going to be hard. And then like with that, there's a few, I just, I saw an article on today on Brooklyn Vegan talked about Mike Birbiglia and John Mulaney will have a, are going to try a drive-in theater show in New Jersey. So those are like two big names and then uh michael che from saturday night live and uh stand-up comedian he did some parking lot shows in long island city in june and that sort of coincided with the black lives matter protests i think a similar tone of like i've seen pictures from it it was a huge crowd everybody's in masks and then they're holding like black lives matter banners and stuff so like we're truly in like a very uh, weird time for stand-up in general, but then these outdoor shows are something to watch. The other thing I would say is, so I was on all these email lists for comedy shows in LA, and one of them was called Super Secret Comedy Show. Uh, so Super Secret Comedy Show has been teaming up with this production company. They're, it's called uh, InCrowd, and they're trying something where they have a stand-up comedian perform in a studio that has a bunch of screens surrounding them. I think in this episode, I'll in the comments or something, I'll put a picture of this uh, so you can get the idea of it. But they, a comedian is standing with an entire wall of screens surrounding them, and then they're performing, I believe, over a Zoom call. And then each of those screens are actual people watching the show. And it just looks like dystopian, like it's bizarre. Like that too, I think they're trying to recreate some experience for the performer of just feeling so awkward of just telling jokes and they need to hear the laughter. And then with the internet, the way it is like, I mean, like even us doing this zoom call right now, there's like delay between the two of us. Can't imagine if you're like your entire, your entire MO is I need to hear how people react. So I know I can say the next few words that I have completely calculated out. Like it's, um, it's not ideal. Yeah. How do you read the room? How do you read the room? How do you know when to like adjust your act or like, you know, react to the energy? I feel like a lot of a stand-up performance is predicated on like the energy you're getting back from the crowd, right? Like I've seen like, do you ever watch like a, a comedians, especially on like uh, maybe like tour movies or things like that where you can see them tell the same joke in like four or five different venues? It lands differently every time and it's like, well, what goes into yeah. that? They said the same words. Um, the mm-hmm. delivery, most of the time, that's so rehearsed. There's not that much. Sometimes you can see some variability in it. That's the one thing that can be practiced. 
the acoustics of the room and the crowd energy are like the two variables mm-hmm. I would point to as what could be different and why didn't this, why wasn't this as funny this time compared to this other time? I don't know if there's a science behind this shit, but like that's the kind of thing you got to like wonder about when you get into like, well, now it's COVID's hit and we need to have like comedy's not going away. But Ed, you were telling me that and this was long before the pandemic. And then I re- I heard one comedian saying long before the pandemic that they had tried performing before in a VR stand-up show. And then he kind of talked about how it seems like a good idea even before the pandemic, easy to book. But the problem was just that so few people have VR headsets. And that's kind of the problem facing VR right now. Uh, but what, what, what could you tell us about because um, you had said you attended one of those VR stand-up shows. I did. Uh, this would have been in like fall of 2016. I know it was fall of 2016 because I also went to like, I watched the presidential debates in a, in like a chat room with people in VR. And it was the most like pure interpretation of like the internet Jesus. that I've ever like experienced of just like the hate <laughs> and the just like just the pure like vitriol <laughs> like it was actually incredible oh i was in it with them uh-huh. I, oh god it was just like a it's like a war zone but uh to answer your question yeah i went to do you mean you had a vr headset on when you found out that donald trump would become the u.s president oh no i wish <laughs> that would have been like i would have soaked through that headset right there and fried like 700 dollars worth of electronics if i would have had it on at that point uh-huh. um no that uh no, I was. It was like during like the final one, of the final um, debates. Hillary would go on, and then like people would start like yelling at it. Like we were like the chat room was like essentially a three D representation of Times Square, except nothing besides a giant billboard in the middle of it that was just a projector playing the live stream of like the CNN feed or whatever, whatever was hosting that okay. uh, MSNBC. I don't know which one hit it. And there was just in front, like I was like on street level and everyone's just walking around like you just see like avatars of people almost like it's second life yeah yeah it was, yeah it was like it was essentially like like a like a second life kind of like um thing uh-huh. and trump would get on and we're just all screaming at those people on their side of the street like fuck you <laughs> at the time everyone was like not worried still but just having fun with it and then we all know how yeah. that little nugget turned out but no to answer your question i was into uh i i this is just when i got a vr headset it's like such a wild west of like what you can do on those kind of platforms it was just kind of like a second life kind of like experience where you'd be in like a main hub and you can go to all these other different rooms and one of the rooms was like the comedy room and it was like, or it was like the live, the live entertainment room where like random either musical acts or celebrities or whoever would go in there to just do like meet and greets or their, or their performance or whatever it was. And I remember the night that I did that, it mm-hmm. was like Reggie Watts was doing stand up. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it was in a room we had probably had like, it was set up when you went into there. So it looked like a virtual comedy club or just like a stage, like an intimate stage where he was on there and everyone else was just like in the crowd outside of it. Well, then the question I have is, is the performer also in VR? Like they have a helmet on? Yes, they are like moving around. You see like their head and their like arms in like an avatar form. And like Reggie Watts made his like look like him. Mm. And he, I think he did some like musical stuff at one point where you could see him like behind a virtual drum kit doing his thing. The sound was obviously there. 
and the the VR helmets have mics built into them, so that's how you primarily are talking mm-hmm. to people. But they're not like high grade. The, the acoustics are weird, and like the they're not meant for performance. Yeah. They're meant for basic voice chat functionality. Uh-huh. So if you had to judge, do you think this is a viable alternative to live stand up during the pandemic? If you had to say yes or no, what do you think? No. In like five years, in five years, I think it would definitely get be a lot better and a lot closer. Does it meet the real thing? I don't think it's even close. It's it's an unfortunate thing. It's like we're all like hungry for it, but it's just like Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they develop that a little bit better. So in this next segment, I've been trying to ask every guest that I have about their personal connection to stand-up. My co-host here, Ed, was one of the first people to really introduce me to alternative comedy. Uh, So he's very important in that memory for me, but he was sort of like the source, like where we grew up in rural Wisconsin. You either got something through Comedy Central, you might randomly get a stand-up CD when you went to a mall in the city, Um, but there really weren't a lot of places to input stand-up comedy culture unless it was coming through hbo and it was all very very mainstream so this alt comedy thing kind of came to us uh sort of late but um ed if i asked you what what do you think is your earliest memory of liking stand-up comedy my earliest memory of stand-up comedy i can probably go as far back as being 15 freshman year high school i can vividly place that um, I vividly remember doing like Brian Posehn impressions uh-huh. like that I got off of his like stand up from like a Comedy Central Presents. I remember being like I used to watch so many of those. I don't know why. They were always just on um it was on like late night comedy like during like hot summer nights. I can just I can just feel like the air conditioning in my parents' house while like, everyone was asleep, just like that was the only thing that was on TV at the time that looked interesting. And watching so many like specials on there, I remember the Jim Gaffigan one where he's like the 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 backstage is like a cornfield, like one of his like early early things. I remember like the original like Dane Cook one where he's got like the drum set on stage. I remember the Dave Chappelle like uh, killing them softly when that came out. Um, those are my earliest ones. I remember just like not really necessarily understanding what a lot of content was when you're back then. I just remember thinking like, I just liked the delivery almost more so than like understanding like what like kind of like witty jokes or things that were being made. Yeah. And then like for some of the, some of the examples you gave, we were the same age, like our middle school and high school was like the those years were like the peak of Dane Cook, I think. Oh, yeah. I want to say when we were 16 is when he had that crazy double platinum album came out or whatever. When he was doing like huge stadiums. Yeah. So for me, it was there was that kind of like loud, loud bravado kind of like sort of meathead was sort of taking the like center stage and then for kind of finding other things was like interesting after that. But yeah, well, that was a, that was a thing at the time. There wasn't really a comedy scene to be like 
there's the cool alt indie kids versus like the mainstream whatever like there was no concept of that in my mind at that point maybe someone yeah. music comedy was such a foreign thing to me where it's like and, and i think a lot of that had to do with like i don't think his act ever really evolved too much i remember just seeing like oh this again and just kind of like yeah. old after a while um whereas you know like jim gaffkin still put yeah. stuff out and you know a lot of them still are are working mm-hmm. pretty consistently then more in the present, what do you think is the best place for you to see stand-up? And that could be either a specific locale or a recurring show that you were going to back when that kind of thing happened in person. Or or you could talk about what is your favorite setting to see stand-up, like the type of show, more of like an sure. alternative space, a black box theater. Or do you like going and getting tickets and going to a big theater? Uh, what's kind of your vibe? What's your favorite place to see stand up? Right. I still think my favorite one of any for like specifically comedy that I've ever been to um, would be Brave New Workshop here in Minneapolis, which is more of an improv esque uh-huh. kind of show than it is a stand up thing. But there, that venue is very like historic in terms of it, it's. I I liken it a lot to um, Lambo or Wrigley Field, or, like, one of those, like, old, kind of, like, falling apart places that just, like, kind of has, like, a nostalgic feel to it. It kind of just feels like it. Like, you can feel, like, the history when you're sitting there. Yeah, I mean, I've heard the mm-hmm. name a lot. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're a big name here in mm-hmm. the cities. Um, and uh, they put on great, great shows, great holiday shows. I used to try to go to those, like, once a year, but, I mean, obviously that's not happening this, this year. Um, but, yeah, that's that's my favorite it's very it's a very intimate kind of theater setting mm-hmm. but definitely that is it feels most like authentic if that makes any sense it doesn't sound too pretentious what do you think the best circumstances are in your life to see stand up i give the example that some people like to see stand up and be distracted from like say stress or depression but for me i definitely like to go when i'm totally done with a bunch of obligations and like on cloud nine i feel great like the start of some kind of vacation or something, that's like the perfect time for me to see stand-up. So I wonder, what about you? When I got to the cities and I got to see, like, there are six clubs that are, like, within, like, bus distance or public transit or bike distance or whatever. And it's just, like, I can get, I can subscribe to all these calendars. Let's just go, let's just go to shows on a Tuesday night, you know, that kind of a thing. It's almost indescribable. I was indiscriminate my first year living here where I went to either a comedy show or a concert or something at least like once a week, just going to stuff. Who cares? Right. Just like just seeing live stuff. Uh huh. Uh, saw some like, saw. I think the weirdest thing I saw was Bill Murray with his like cello player and like pianist do like spoken uh-huh. word, like Ralph Waldo Emerson, like just weird, like just like, uh-huh. But you know what? When you started that sentence, like anything you were going to say after Bill Murray, I was like, yeah, "Yeah, probably. (laughs) Like whatever you said wasn't going to surprise. Um, But yeah, there is honestly like at this point, and I can tell you this, like the first week, hey, we get a vaccine. Everyone can go back out and we can try to pick back up where we left off. Knock on wood that ever day Mm -hmm. ever comes. That'll be like, it doesn't matter what day it is. I'm just jumping in uh to the first show mm-hmm. I can find like there doesn't really need to be an excuse because it's just kind of like I feel like I'm I feel like I'm making up for lost time I think everybody's having this kind of thing where they're like there's some guilt if you're a person that really loves live things and you were kind of like putting it yeah, off yeah. and then now it can't happen for so long so then like we, we really need to come together and then act we really actually need to go to the stuff when it does come back like whatever survives you know 
So, Ed, what was the last stand-up you saw before COVID? It definitely would have been last fall because I would have Minneapolis winters or Minnesota winters in general are like hell on earth. Uh, and there's no going out to the point where like I missed so many shows that got canceled because of snowstorms. I probably was when I saw mm-hmm. Dave Chappelle the year before. What do you say you missed the most about seeing stand-up live as opposed to all the other ways we talked about watching it? Um, it definitely is a different energy, and it definitely is a different feel. And I mm-hmm. guess there's that, that, like, you watch a special, uh, listen to a recording, um, and it's great, and the jokes are funny and everything. You know, if you enjoy it, everyone, you like it, but it's always, like, the same thing. And I imagine a lot of this kind of bleeds over in, like, seeing, like, live music or any kind of performance art as well, right? Um, when you see mm-hmm. that like show, like, man, I was at that show where, you know, they went off top. This guy got up and started yelling. Like, I, like, I can remember, like, I went to that Queens of the Stone Age show where Josh Homme like screamed at that guy and like threw a cigarette at him. Like, you know, that's not going to be on like a recording <laughs> or a special or anything like that. Like there's only certain like special, there's almost like something like intimate about like seeing them live and seeing them work off of your specific crowd or you or even your energy. Like, um, that's what I miss the mm-hmm. most about it. Cause as much as I love watching, you know, whatever specials are on HBO or Netflix or whatever you're going to get your hands on or, uh, listening to them on Spotify or whatever, I, whatever I can get a hold of it. It's still like good, good comedy to consume. It's just like, there's something special about it. Like seeing it in person though. So this week, in lieu of a comic of the week, we sort of have a group of them because I wanted to talk about the 2005 documentary, Comedians of Comedy. The documentary is one of the first documentaries made by Netflix. Uh, So it's kind of interesting in that regard, considering sort of the powerhouse that Netflix has become with documentary series. When you watch Comedians of Comedy, you won't find it on Netflix, actually. You're going to have to go to YouTube and find where it's been put up there. I don't know about the legality of that. But I kind of get the feeling after rewatching it again since college that it's maybe they kind of wanted to bury it. And there could be a couple of reasons for that, but uh, it's still very influential to me. It basically follows Patton Oswalt uh, to start, and he goes on a tour of comedy shows that are taking place in music venues, which at the time, I suppose that that was sort of new or unusual. It was the first time that I saw comedians like Patton Oswalt, Maria Bamford, Brian Posehn, Zach Galifianakis, uh, where I was really like, I had been familiar with stand-up. I had been watching it on Comedy Central. I had been seeing it in very mainstream forms, but this felt like something very new. And I knew that those were comedians that I liked and I wanted to find more of that. I think more people are familiar actually with the comedians of comedy. They came out with a special, sort of a sequel to this documentary that's just a show at the Troubadour in West Hollywood. And that has, you know, the people I just mentioned, Pat Oswalt, Maria Bamford. But it additionally has people like Dana Gould, Eugene Merman. Dana Gould being legendary, Eugene Merman at the time being, uh, that sort of made him big. And then, I mean, now with uh, Bob's Burgers, you know, he's huge. So I wanted to watch this documentary with my friend Ed. Just sort of an experiment in going back to that point in life when I was kind of new to the world in general, but also this whole world of alt comedy was new to me. Um, so what are some of your thoughts on rewatching this, Ed? It's really 
interesting because it's a lot of like a lot of comedians that have like I would say like exploded in popularity since the, like the recording of that, and just seeing like mm-hmm. how far they've come since then. Um, in two ways, one one of knowing like what they have done. Well, there, there's a segment in the middle of it of the of the documentary where they all show their like recordings of like their earliest that they could find like stand up. It's just seeing their growth from that point to their current point and of was that what 2005 yep and i think the tour the tour might be in 2004 and there's a couple of things that hint that and one is the fact that pat oswald is doing material about the upcoming yes. 2004 election uh i'm just like seeing that i just you just want to tell him like man like you don't know what's coming and then you want to think four years ahead of that wow you really don't know what's coming uh, with like the first black president in like a positive way. And then, then it's like, yeah, you really don't know what's yeah. coming like after that. So it's interesting, like timestamp yeah, on I think it. Ironically, in one of his like later specials, he makes that exact joke about like correcting that joke he makes in the documentary about like Bush. It's going to be funny kind of, kind of humor. But like he makes a joke about like going, getting a time machine and going back and like warning himself about like what the next like 10 years are going to look like. Uh-huh. Um, it's almost exactly that setup that you just described, actually. Oh, maybe that's sort of like in me uh, subconsciously. And then Patton Oswalt being very interesting. Like you said, people really blew up from that now really blew up. It's like it's just before Zach Galifianakis does The Hangover. Like I think he had been in Out Cold, which is a fine film. <laughs> um, and, he'll, and he would even attest to it. Uh, and then, you know, then Pat Oswald is just before being um, the voice on Ratatouille. Like, you know, he was pretty yeah. big, I guess, at the time. And then, like, earlier in the episode, I talked about the JFL new faces, like, for 2020. That article in Variety was saying how the first time they made that list was 2000, and two of the names on there were Pat Oswald and Zach Galifianakis. Oh, wow. We're looking at a very time-stamped, uh, unique sort of moment. Oh, yeah. And... I mean, and then the other thing I thought was interesting about how people blew up after that documentary is in in the documentary, they're at a radio station and like the host of that show asked them, um, who are like comedians you think people should know about that people don't know about? Um, I think Maria Bamford mentions Jen Kirkman, um, big name now, but the, the people they name are like comedians who, yes, may have had like other writing jobs for TV or movies or whatever. Um, but they're like really like comics, comics who are like still big touring comedians. Um, she mentions Jackie Cation, who I love, um, Milwaukee native. I want to say someone mentions Andy Kindler. See, I had a list here where they say, yeah, I think Patton like just goes off like top of his head for like a good solid, like two minutes, just naming names. Uh huh. Oh yeah. Here it is. Um, they mentioned Jackie Cation, uh, Morgan Murphy, again, like real, she's a, probably more active as a writer, but real comics okay. comic. Um, Dan Mintz, um, Eddie Pepitone, I mentioned, has a new special now. Yeah, and Andy Kindler and Jen Kirkman. So, yeah, I just, that was sort of interesting too to timestamp it. And then, and then another thing I realized watching this was like, you get Zach Galifianakis right before right before the hangover but also even you get zach galifianakis before he does 
his special, which to me, I think is one of my favorite stand-up specials of all time, which is Live at the Purple Onion. Yep. And that comes a year later. Um, and you can see like him sort of working out some of that material. And another thing I thought about was that him sitting at a piano uh, and kind of doing his material that has very little to do with the the like playing the piano has nothing to do with the bits he's doing he's just kind of providing something between one-liners i think that that after that has been tried in a lot of ways he's obviously not the first to do that but um something about that is so hilarious and Mm -hmm. i think what i realized watching this documentary was like i like this because i get to see a lot of zach galifianakis actually doing stand-up um which you don't get to see much anymore no he was uh he had a very like unique style to his like stand up. It was like Mitch Hedberg kind of material, but like twisted into like surrealism. Yeah, that is a very like unique kind of thing. Like, uh huh. It, it was always like he never really knew what was coming out of him. <laughs> so I guess I mm-hmm. guess that was that's that's definitely like the appeal to that kind of stuff. Um, I I guess I would say I'm a fan of like the more like surrealist kind of like or bizarro is more i think a better way to put it like kind of mm-hmm. humor that's i think that's what kind of makes the foundation of a lot of that like alternative comedy is like mm-hmm. how do you break the structure of like typical comedy you got to get weird with it you know and like mm-hmm. all of those guys are all those guys and gals are weird with it you know and uh-huh. him he it, was, it goes it goes very ab- absurdist but then he'll like counter that with um he'll just kind of bring it back to very very realistic minutia of life like just kind of ridiculous characters um mm-hmm. that are very but are just sort of taken from the kind of interactions you have with people in like service industry interactions and things like that um and then just the the way they find him in the documentary like i think one guy sets his camera down i can't tell if that's like real or a bit but just like mm-hmm. if he if it is real and he just kind of stumbled upon them as a group and this is like before like cell phones are a thing, but they're not the thing that they are now. Um, it's just sort of funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. I feel like you get a really good picture of Zach Galifianakis that we will never quite get again. But I will mm-hmm. say, you do. Um, one of the things I've been watching since quarantine is watching the FX show Baskets, um, yeah. where Zach Galifianakis plays a rodeo clown, or he wants to be like a real clown, and then he ends up working as a rodeo clown you really get what I think we couldn't see from his big mainstream movies, which is this very sad, um, sad, but funny kind of portrayal. And then he gets to do his other character as his twin brother in that show, which is just amazing. And it's sort of like the character he does in live with the purple onion. Like it's supposed to be his, his other brother. That's like Mm -hmm. jealous of him. (laughs) One thing I noticed there, it's a very like alt comedy itself. It's very meta. So you, they kind of just run you through, their process of becoming a stand-up and you like you said you get that snippet of each of them at a very early stage of their career performing Mm -hmm. um but each of them has like a story of a heckler or something that went wrong or the type of environment they were performing in and those stories are just just brutal that that could be a whole like episode of itself for this podcast it's just like the psychology of heckling (laughs) like Uh oh my god i I don't know if I've ever been to a show where that's actually like elevated, you know, the act. 
Yeah, I mean, and then like people say what you want about the performer, but Jamie Kennedy made a documentary called Heckler um, that is very interesting. It looks at exactly like what you're talking about. (laughs) And he just like confronts not only hecklers, but he confronts, I think, like journalists that had written such bad reviews of him and just interviews them and and reads what they said to him. He basically, like, I think it's the Jimmy Kimmel show where they read, like, mean tweets, like, stole that from him, I would say. Oh, and then I realized that something I had internalized from that documentary, and then it's like an earworm that I'll always repeat, Mm -hmm. is the way that Patton Oswalt tells that story about someone proposing at his show oh yeah and the way the way he says how the woman said to the guy proposing you know the answer is no like i (laughs) i think i say that maybe once a month (laughs) but not i didn't really remember why i was saying that and like it was just it was so funny to to rewatch that and he's pretty great (laughs) at telling that kind of story that's i think one of his strengths as a comedian was always just like mm. not even like the structured jokes but just like here's a story i know that's a lot uh-huh. of that's a lot of like jokes but like there's clearly like some truth behind it like i think that's my favorite type not even just with Patton, but just with like any comedian i think it's my favorite mm. structure of a joke is just like the long story mm-hmm. as opposed to like you know like here's like a a philosophy or here's like a so-and-so was in the news today said this and that, that kind of like thing Mm-hmm. Like the like very long, not even like it's not even like the most like if you were to somehow gauge a metric of like jokes per minute or something, it wouldn't register mm-hmm. nearly in the top half of those kind of joke or those kind of like uh metrics, yeah. maybe metrics, but like they're still, I think, my favorite. So th- those are the ones that dip in and out of just like I think that's it's a, that's a weird kind of thing to like think about in comedy, but like a lot of the reason I like stand up. And I've like mm-hmm. listened to a lot of stand up. Isn't even for like the joke parts. It's for the the in between. If that makes any sense. Yeah, and like you get to hear these stories from people that they live this road kind of lifestyle. And that's something I thought while I was watching the documentary. Is like when they like the documentary itself is the way it's shot is kind of rough. And I think it's sort of a timestamp too of like now like if that type of documentary is being made, everybody has like such better equipment and everything like you can see the age on it and you can see the lower end budget on it i would guess while they're giving those montages of their tour like going from one town to the next and everything they all look so miserable and like it's it's just funny that they being the sort of like alt comics they are and like the kind of brian posein's very nerdy and like before that was even like a thing in the mainstream um yeah it wasn't cool at that point it definitely wasn't cool and like the in 2005 like who's making like a greedo shot first joke on in right. like a big widely seen stand-up format but anyway like they all look so not their personalities are not suited to that lifestyle at all um no you you can definitely tell they were like so that's the whole point of like that this specific documentary is like they were breaking new ground so to speak mm-hmm. and, and you can kind of tell too like comedy has always been kind of like almost like a, like a niche thing there's always like the big names like the, like the sam kinnison's and you know those of the world that like everybody knew but like that was more like a mm-hmm. an intimate thing where you would essentially like you go to like a, your bar on a friday night and they either had a live band or a live 
comedian before like karaoke mm-hmm. machines and stuff came out and like replaced them all. Um, mm. This I think was like the whole purpose getting this kind of like, like that comedy into these lower cost indie venues. Mm-hmm. How popular I would love to see any kind of like metric on this. I have no idea what you would look up into, but like to figure this out. Mm-hmm popularity of just comedy in general like awareness of comedy in general um Mm -hmm. today compared to like 20 years ago i feel like it's way more consumable and more mainstream as a whole or more easy or accessible i guess this is where i'm looking for accessible to get into a lot more people know about a lot more comedians whereas that was like not the case prior to that tour Mm -hmm. and then the aftermath of that tour was those kind of acts were getting booked more and more in those kind of venues. And then these names kind of got way bigger. Mm-hmm. Kind of yeah. Like the whole, the whole, um, do a, do, do comedy shows in a stand up music venue or rather like a music venue where people are standing room only kind of like some of the, they had tables and stuff at some of the way they did it, but doing it at a music venue, that's not unusual now, but the documentary really frames it like this. They're, we're going to try it. It might be weird. I'm just kind of like, well, I don't know. I I have like the the different kind of lens of it at living in L- LA a while where you could see laundromats that have stand up here and stuff. So it's like a whole different right. ball, ball game of like what kind of space you see stand up in. Right. The last couple of things, like any final thoughts on the documentary? The one thing I would say is like, um, if anyone's going to go seek this out on YouTube and watch it, there are certain things that really don't age well. And I think that even those comics would be the four people in the documentary would be the first people to say like, Oh yeah, I don't do that kind of material anymore. You just see how much comedy's changed. Uh, and I'm not at all one of these people like, Oh, it's PC run amok or whatever. Um, I think things have changed for the better. And uh, you just see like the difference between 2005 to 2020, like, you know, people have learned like maybe don't say the R word or um, things like that kind of and then there's like some homophobia and things that come out in kind of weird ways in the documentary so i'll just say like that's sort of like a disclaimer and yeah yeah i mean as someone who just i think in the last like two months watched that new Patton special on netflix yeah which i saw him on his tour when he was doing like testing out that material for that special um Mm. completely different like it's you can tell that he's way a ways removed from that kind of material. And it's not just him. It's like, they're all of them. I think mm-hmm. that was just, again, it's, I don't know. I, I but feel still, like I gotta be so but careful. still very, yeah, but still very edgy and weird in his latest special, like the bit about the contractor, like he's the best guy in town to do your, your cupboards or whatever, but you just got to yeah. deal with everything he says. Like, again, it's like that, just telling a story from his life, like you said. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then uh, we'd also be remiss not to just say, to just to look at Maria Bamford's career since then and look at, you know, she's got her show, many specials. I think things that people are trying now with weird or weird ways to do stand-up. She was doing stuff like she has the one special where she just is in her parents' living room performing to the two of them. <laughs> um, and I want to say that was like, that's over five years ago, I want to say at this point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely a turning point for me. And then I would just add that, you know, the the special that comes after Comedians of Comedy, uh, sort of the sequel, the Troubadour show, uh, it was a big turning point for me. And then one of our friends in high school, uh, her mom was borrowing a projector 
from work and then they live in we we grew up in a very rural area so the town as it were was only i think two thousand people so our friend lived in one of the oldest structures in that town so their basement was almost like earthen um there was like a wall that was collapsing and it's an old farmhouse that they they built the house around it it was like a, a rejected set piece from like a Blair Witch straight to DVD sequel. Like, yeah, I, it, we, we made a lot of we made a lot of Blair Witch references to the basement. Also, yeah, it, it was terrifying. But what she did then was uh, put a sheet over that side of the basement, hung up a sheet, and then put two and two together to project onto that sheet. And there was one summer where it was perfect because we could go in the basement and watch uh, watch things projected on this sheet. And one of the the DVDs we got from this little video store was that troubadour show and then I, I just remember that being a very magical moment and realizing like yes i like stand-up but i really like this stand-up and kind of chased it from there yeah so is there any final thoughts anything you want to say ed uh before we close out here um i mean thank you for having me on uh this was fun mm-hmm. um people should go vote that's pretty much all i got to say i have nothing to promote oh, yeah. i have nothing to promote i'm not a a comedian or i have nothing you know that interesting mm-hmm. else going on that i could uh plug right now but yeah just vote and uh love each other well yeah thanks so much for being sort of uh someone to yell all of my comedy nerd stuff at and uh yeah even if we have to do it remotely so oh, yeah. yeah good message to end on make sure you vote make sure your vote gets there with yeah. the mail i don't know where we're at with that but um my mailbox got yeah. stolen oh yeah <laughs> That's, um, a, that's a true story. Someone stole a USPS box outside. We had right after uh, the day before our uh, or two days before our state primaries. So there's yep. some weird shit afoot. Make sure you're taking care of your votes. Yeah, good. Uh, good public service announcement. Yeah, and uh, thanks so much for joining me. This has been Don't Sit in the Front, and thanks for being my guest, Ed. Anytime. Thank you for listening to Don't Sit in the Front. Please rate and subscribe and leave me a review. You can follow the show on Twitter with the handle don't underscore sit or don't sit in the front, all one word, on Instagram. Our music is composed by Chris Helking and our cover art is provided by Memory Bloom Studio. Thank you so much for listening and just remember to always punch up and keep swinging.